This week for Columbia's Data Science Society podcast, we'll be interviewing Professor Shuan Song. Uh, Shuan Song is an assistant professor at Columbia whose research focuses on computer vision robotics. She is especially interested in developing algorithms that enable intelligent systems to learn from their interactions with the physical world and autonomously acquire the perception and manipulation skills necessary to execute complex tasks and assist people. In the following interview, we'll discuss topics including Professor Song's career path, her tips and advice to students, her outlook towards uh, RL and robotics uh, in the near-term future, as well as a few of maybe a discussion about her more recent works. What was your career path like, I guess? Uh, like, how did you make the decisions that made you end up as a professor? Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's quite clear from the very beginning. Uh, well, it's not very beginning, but I think during my undergrad, I kind of already know. Uh, I think the reason is that I always really enjoy learning new stuff. And I think in contrast to most of the jobs, you know, uh, like other jobs that you pretty much paid for, Doing the things that you know uh, in academic, you basically paid for like doing like learning new stuff, that new things that you you don't know. So I think that's pretty unique. Like o- almost no other jobs that can provide me this opportunity. So it's quite clear that I always want to like kind of at least stay in academic as long as uh, is possible. So this is why I choose to like do a PhD and also be a professor afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. And did you have any like mentors that helped you along the way? Of course, yeah. I have uh, like during my PhD, I have my PhD advisor, and I also get opportunities to work with a lot of other uh, researchers um, during my PhD and also beyond. Yeah. I see. And then, how did you choose? Um, I guess I think your specialty is like reinforcement learning and robotics, right? Yeah. So I think during my PhD, I started as. Uh, doing research in computer vision mostly. Uh, so actually, interestingly, my, my advisor is a computer graphic. So he, he, his research uh, uh, specialty is in computer graphics, and uh, I. But I think most of my research is in computer vision, but more specifically, is on uh, the direction of three D vision. So it's kind of um, it's it's really use a lot of uh, techniques and ideas from graphics, but apply it in computer vision. And I think towards the later stage of my PhD, I get a chance to work with uh, a, a professor um, robust, uh, uh, in, in MIT, uh, Alberto, uh, to jointly participate in this Amazon Picking Challenge. Mm-hmm. That really got me to start it in robotics. So I think recently, uh, I, uh, start from then, I started to really work on like vision for robotics. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like the, the path I take. I see, I see. And I guess, like, um, did you ever question, I guess, like, in, in a way, do you think you're more of, I guess, I, I mean, did you ever, like, question uh, what you were doing in ML, I guess? Like, uh, um, if you, it was the, like, when did you know it was definitely going to be uh, computer vision that you were going to specialize in your PhD? Oh, I, like, as you can tell, like, I never really, like, uh just like said that I'm gonna do computer vision forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I changed my direction several times, um, like from like vision to like 3D vision to vision for robotics and more, for, more on robotics. Right. So yeah, I don't think I really like um, set on one direction. I think mm-hmm. I'm still exploring. Yeah. I see. I see. I, I think I'm more interested like for let's say the perspective the the perspective of an undergrad. Like, how did you mm-hmm. decide that? Okay, 
PhD research in computer vision. That's where I'm going to start my uh, academic career. Yeah, I, I, I think it's more, mm, I just got, so I think I, I, I'm pretty lucky in getting a, a opportunity to do research during my undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's, that's research uh, projects is happened to be on computer vision. Mm -hmm. So uh, I remember during my third year, I think, uh, of my undergrads, I did a summer internship in MIT. And uh, I did a research project on doing, I think, object tracking. Uh, try, basically implementing a small components for a big system that's tracking objects so that the robot can follow the, the target along. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's my first uh, kind of taste on doing research and I happen to really like it and then I just continue to work on it. Uh, so yeah, so it's pretty random, I would say, uh, why mm -hmm. I choose this direction, yeah. Mm -hmm. I see, well, I mean, it, it turned out well, right? <laughs> So I guess um, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I I think I guess uh, one thing I like computer vision that I think other uh, research direction do, do not provide is that you get to see pictures, data, and when when you work on robotics, you also get to work with real system mm -hmm. instead of like other um, research areas like uh, systems or um, optimization. You're pretty much staring at numbers every day. Right. You got to see like more colorful image. You got to see some nice visualization and you also see your system working so i think that part is very satisfying for me i see yeah uh and then i guess um so you went from vision into like more robotics and um, vision right and that came out of um an amazon challenge that you said that you worked at with uh, an mit team right i guess like uh how was how did that happen and i guess how did you continue onwards after that because i think Reading up on your bio, you had done that challenge, then you did like your, your tossing bot kind of thing, right? With other collaborators. And like, I guess like, um, how, what was like the, the, I mean, like, do you want to talk about those projects and like how they guided you into a more you know, robotics kind of oriented things? Yeah. So actually, so at the beginning of my PhD or for a very long time, I work in 3D perception. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for most of my projects uh, or like paper, I always start motivating my, my research uh, as like our 3D object detection system is going to be useful for robotics because if for the robots we actually uh, interact with the environment, they actually need to understand the 3D uh, geometry or the um, spatial relationships of the objects. Mm -hmm. So that's always how I motivate myself in working in 3D perception, 3D vision algorithm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but I actually never really applied my perception algorithm or vision algorithm in any real world robot system. Uh, until uh, I worked in the Amazon Picking Challenge. I think mm -hmm. uh, one of Alberto's uh, PhD students, Peter, back then uh, emailed me. Basically, they said that they have a lab that uh, they are roboticists, they want to participate in this challenge, but they don't have vision people. Uh, we see you have this 3D object detection algorithm um, that you guys developed, can we use that? And, and uh, I remember back then I was very excited. I was like, of course, yes, we should try it and we should work together for this challenge. Uh, but that challenge, like actually throughout that experience, I realized that the algorithm I built actually is not particularly useful <laughs> for robotics application. And there are many reasons. For example, the things that we optimize for, like the accuracy, um, may not be the right metric uh, for the for for it to be useful for robotics application. So things like 
uh, the speed of the algorithm, which we don't really care about back then when we developed the vision algorithm, is yeah. actually uh, something that's quite important. Uh, if you want the robot to work in a real application that is fast enough, that's able to react to the changes in the environment, uh, or just have a reasonable like speed to execute their action, uh, the speed of the algorithm is very important. Mm -hmm. And also the different type of errors the system can handle is also different. Right? The system, ideally, the perception system can tell them that okay, at this point, uh, my prediction may not be that accurate. You probably want to be more careful. But um, all those information is not really included in your original design perception algorithm. And um, I think from that experience, I start to realize that if I want to show that my algorithm is actually useful, I really need to think it through. I really need to apply it in a real robot system and then test it with real system. So that's actually kind of convert me from working on purity on computer vision to more on like this intersection of vision for robotics. Yeah. I see. And then did you involve, uh, I guess, incorporate those changes into your next challenge, like the tossing bot kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually we participated in that challenge for two years. Uh, so mm -hmm. the first time we have pretty divided like tasks, like uh, uh, our team uh, from Princeton uh, is in charge of the perception part and uh, the, the team from MIT is in charge of the planning part and we will produce like object detection, post estimation uh, results and they will take that and to do motion planning. Mm -hmm. And uh, that turned out not to be working very robustly. But the second year when we participated in this challenge, we kind of changed this uh, whole approach to be more end-to-end. -end. So directly from the uh, image that's uh, uh, captured by the camera, Instead of predicting like the objects or the pose, we directly predict where the robot should grasp, where uh, how to grasp, and or um, directly predicting. We call it affordance. It's basically like the location that is good for grasp uh, or, or suction. That depends on the gripper that we use, mm -hmm. and then that system turned out to be much faster and also much more robust. And they can actually generalize uh, very well to unseen new objects that we haven't uh, trained with the system. Right. And I guess I've mentioned the tossing part, I guess, like, for someone who wouldn't know, how would you explain, like, I guess, these two challenges to them, like the Amazon one and then the, the tossing bot one? So the, the challenge for the Amazon picking challenge uh, is actually the task is, so, you know, Amazon has this warehouse that has a lot of objects and, mm -hmm. uh, or like products, and the people, when you place an online order, uh, someone needs to go and pick the object and put them into boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, the, the task or the goal for that challenge is um, to develop a robotic system that's able to kind of pick those objects from either shelf or bin to, your, to the box. And uh, the challenge uh, is that uh, there are a lot of objects that the system needs to handle and they need to be able to robustly to pick up the object uh, and then safely put it into the box in order to like complete the task. Yeah, so that's the task for that uh, challenge. So the, the research problem that we studied there is called uh, object grasping. It's given a random object, how to uh, predict, or how to allow your, enable the robot system, a robot arm system that's able to kind of planning its action to pick up the object. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a task for the for, for the Amazon picking challenge, and the, the tossing bot uh, project, as you mentioned, is actually an extension. Uh, like I think it's one one step further uh, beyond the, the grasping problem, 
is uh, for that for that project is after you grasp the object, we're trying to instead of slowly slowly p uh, placing the object into the box, we're thinking whether we can do it faster. Uh, can we just directly throw the object into the box? And mm -hmm. that can like drastically increase the speed of the system and also uh, kind of increase the reach range of the robots so that they can actually do the placing uh, uh, action to a box that's much f uh, further away from the robot. Hmm. I see. Cool, cool. And so, I guess, um, uh, wait, did you ever teach a class at Columbia? Or are planning to, or is it mostly just research that you do? Yeah, so actually I just teach one seminar mm -hmm. course that is a graduate level course on robot learning. So, mm -hmm. I haven't really teach a, like, a large undergrad course yet. Mm, I was going to ask you funny stories or anecdotes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't, but maybe next time I can update you uh, if I have any. Do you think that, I guess, you, you do like computer vision and robotics, right? Mm -hmm. or would you also describe it like uh, reinforcement learning in robotics in a way? Like that, mm -hmm. that too, right? Like, but, like, I guess, like, how would you sum up your... Like, does it, what, what, what does your research fall into? Like computer vision, reinforcement learning, robotics? Uh, is there anything else? Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think um, if you ask me, I'll probably tell you that I work in like vision for robotics. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's um, actually, I think recently, uh, another direction that I'm very interested in is how to use, it's kind of like a robot for, for vision. It's like how to leverage the ability that the robot can actively interact with the environment mm -hmm. to actually make the perception algorithm easier or more robust, mm -hmm. or actually get information that uh, traditional computer vision algorithm was not able to get. Um, an example of that is, um, so again, back to the Amazon picking challenge. Um, so one of the challenges that we, we're facing in, in that uh, task is, we need to also recognize the object uh, before uh, kind of, so when the robot needs to pick up uh, an object, it can also need to recognize which object is which and in order to put it into the target box. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is a very challenging perception problem if we're trying to recognize the object when the object is on the shelf or on a bin when it's uh, heavily cluttered with many objects. Mm -hmm. But if we let the robot to kind of first pick up an object and then uh, recognize it uh, when the object is in the hand, then the robot actually can like uh, rotate its hand to look at the object from different perspective or just look at this object in isolation without all the clutter. And mm -hmm. it turns out to be that is a much easier perception problem. So I think that's just an example of how we can use the robot's ability to actively interact with the environment mm -hmm. in order to simplify the perception problem. Um, and I think that there are a lot of like related directions on. Uh, on that direction that's I'm pretty excited about. I see, yeah, yeah, that's certainly definitely interesting. I mean, like, it's almost like a, how a person would look at something and try to identify it. They pick it up and look at it more closely. Um, you want to I was wondering if you wanted to talk about some of your more recent works. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's one called Grasping in the Wild and Form to Fit, right? Mm -hmm. I guess, um, do you want to, like, I guess, briefly describe those? Uh, yeah, so actually this tool is also kind of like extension from our work in the Amazon Picking Challenge. So mm -hmm. the Grasping in the Wild paper uh, is still solving this problem of grasping. Uh, right. So we kind of feel that we, we 
pretty much has a good solution for grasping problems in a very constrained uh, setup. Like in Amazon Picking Challenge, we're basically picking up the object from a tote that is uh, like kind of predefined environment that the objects will not be in the dishwashing machine or on your uh, desktop or something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the system is actually not very generalizable. So it's, it's able to pick up the objects from a constrained environment, but if you take it out of the lab or out of the setup, uh, it cannot do a lot. Mm -hmm. So the reason why it is uh, hard is two, two limitations. One is that the, set, uh, the, the system that we built for Amazon Picking Challenge is constrained in a way that the robot can only do top-down pick mm -hmm. uh, because uh, we cannot assume that the bin is in the bottom of uh, on the floor. Uh, so it cannot actually change the orientation uh, for approaching the objects uh, randomly. So for example, if you have uh, objects that's hanging on a wall, then you need to significantly change the system in order to make that work for a different setting. Mm -hmm. And also we can we also assume that the the setup is um, more or less static. So if you have a moving object, imagine if you have an object on a conveyor belt, then that system also doesn't work because the, the target is moving and the system cannot adapt to um, like a moving object. So mm -hmm. in the grasping in the wild uh, paper, we're basically trying to solve that problem. We want to enable the system able to grasp objects, not just top down, but like from any direction. That's that's called six stuff. So mm -hmm. in, uh, instead of top down, which is uh, for, for degree of freedom, mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to uh, enable like higher degree of freedom, like we call it six stuff. And another thing is that we want to make it closed loop, means that uh, it's doing the planning on the, uh, on the fly. So if you have a moving target, the uh, robot will planning according to it and actually uh, change its plan while the object is moving so that it can actually grasp a moving object. So that's the two new properties that we want the system to have. I see. And I guess like... High degree... Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, two properties. That one is high degree of freedom. The other mm -hmm. is closed loop. Uh, but uh, actually, in order to directly achieve that, it's quite hard, especially if we want to learn a data-driven method. Mm -hmm. So the hard part is getting the training data to actually cover this uh, high degree of freedom and closed loop uh, planning problem. So th the trick that uh, we use there is instead of asking the robot to directly try different possible ways to grasp objects, we use human demonstration. So we build a very like uh, a very cheap and tool that basically everybody can can hold. It's kind of like the the plastic grabber that people mm -hmm. use to pick up trash. Right. And then we stick with a camera on it. Uh, and then basically anyone like I think three year old can use that to just to pick up random objects in anywhere. And that is a pretty much perfect training data for training this like six stuff close to grasping algorithm. So that's how we scaled up this training collection, uh, training data collection process. I see. So I guess like the data collection was the hard part. So you just developed, it was mostly like for data collection here, you had that simple tool to, to obtain it just so you can train your, your, your model, right? Mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm. for four DOF and six DOF, right? So I guess what are the degrees of freedom? And in, in like, what are the four degrees of freedom in like the, the simple top-down kind of graphs? Like, is it like, yeah. like, uh, like almost like the, those things at the carnivals where it's like, it goes down and then goes around? Yes, yes. So three degree of freedom is the X, Y, Z location, and mm -hmm. the other uh, uh, degree of freedom is the rotation. Mm -hmm. I guess in the in the uh, 
uh, the machine that you play with, they don't really give you the rotation uh, choice. So right. that, that machine is probably three degree freedom, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see. And I guess um, uh, for, so after you guys were able to obtain like, so this inventive way was, uh, like one of the nice tricks was this inventive way to get your training data, right? Um, isn't it, so do you think the difficulty was to just obtain good training data or, or like most of the problems robotics is like constrained by the availability of training data? Yeah, I, I actually feel that's definitely a very fundamental problem. Mm -hmm. I think um, uh, especially for learning-based robotics, uh, I think it's, it's slightly different from like traditional robotics, like classical uh, robotics, that mm -hmm. you basically uh, either handcraft uh, the planning algorithm and uh, handcraft several rules for the, for, the, for the robot to perform certain tasks. Uh, in in learning-based robotics, we want to uh, provide like, enough training data for the uh, robot to learn certain tasks by itself. So mm -hmm. the learning algorithm part actually pretty much, uh, there are a lot of existing methods like reinforcement learning, supervised learning, um, deep learning that mm -hmm. we can use. But, from, from my perspective, I feel that most of the time the hard part is how to collect the training data. Mm. Yeah, so I think there are two typical ways that people uh, nowadays do. One is uh, let the robot learn by itself. So that's uh, like the, the, the idea that we use for tossing bot, that basically we just ask the robot to just randomly grasp mm -hmm. and randomly toss. And then by observing its uh, grasp or like toss, uh, experience or like the landing location of the object, it will learn to improve itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's like kind of uh, self-supervised learning. The robot will learn through their own experience. Uh, but the challenge for that to, for example, extend it to grasping the wild is that the robots actually can only, uh, it is a really random, like it just uh, keep trying random things and didn't get to a good solution. Mm -hmm. uh, or it's, uh, kind of bias that we kind of ask them to first try to, for example, do top-down grasp instead of trying other things so that they can more likely to, got, uh, to get to a good solution. But in mm -hmm. that case, it's also more constrained. So that's why in, uh, in this work, we kind of try to use um, human demonstration to help the algorithm to bootstrap their uh, initial policy uh, to kind of give them a kind of a good training data to start with by showing this kind of demonstration, um, human collected. And then later, we can ask the robot to uh, explore some more uh, environments or new uh, um, uh, scenarios by itself uh, through self-supervised learning. I see. And I guess, who were the people that had to go grasp random objects for this paper to be over? Like, how long do you think, how long had they spent just grasping objects? Were they grad students or like? Oh yeah, so this project is actually, uh, I, I did it when I was uh, back then in, in, in Google. So actually we have, a collab uh, we, we, we have a collaboration with Google and uh, there are a few people that helped me actually throughout the, the process. That's, I think we in total hired um, five people that uh, each of them spent like half, half day to just randomly grasp objects. Uh, yeah, and I, myself also uh, collect some of those data. Hmm. Yeah, I see. Uh, and I guess like uh, this is more about like I guess these like learning robotic systems versus like like there's the pre-programmed ones. Do you think the learning ones are going to be, I guess like, uh, going to be at performance or better than the traditional robotics kind of platforms? 
mm-hmm. for like future use, or like for in, in, I guess like in assembly lines and things like that. Yeah, I think that's the hope. Uh, <laughs> so I think the the uh, if you talk about like, I think today majority of the uh, robotic system that you will see in assembly lines in factories, they are still pretty uh, pretty much using this classical uh, robotics control and not learning based. Um, almost all those uh, the motions and the actions are pre-programmed mm-hmm. and heavily engineered. Uh, but the advantage or the hope of learning-based robotics is that um, the system has a chance now to improve itself by collecting more training data. So the system can actually continuously, uh, con- uh, continuously learn from its own experience or its new uh, data it's collected uh, through its uh, the time that is running. And uh, the idea is that uh, if they are able to kind of uh, continuously learn uh, from their experience, then they can easily adapt to new environment. Mm-hmm. So the benefit is that when the robot is moving to a new environment, a new factory, or even your home, then you don't need to completely reprogram the, pro- uh, the robot. And also it's able to generalize to new objects, new tasks, or even acquire new skills uh, if it can learn. So I think that's the hope why we are really excited about this direction of learning-based robotics mm-hmm. is their ability to adapt. Right, so they won't have like necessarily experts to program them to perform a certain task. They can yes. basically just watch uh, or just, or just uh, learn through experimental data. I guess like really to the assembly line kind of thing, like the, uh, the other project that I mentioned, um, uh, Form to Fit, right? That mm-hmm. was more about like assembling uh, yes. actual pieces together. Um, I think in that paper, so so I guess, do you want to briefly describe it before I ask you questions? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, that paper is trying to do assembly, like mm-hmm. picking, uh, putting different parts together into, so, so the task we call is kitting task. It's basically like putting different parts together to form a functional unit. Uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, You can call it assembly or kitting. Uh, yeah, depends on who you talk to. Um, yeah, so the idea there is that in typical assembly line, uh, people, one assembly line only work for one type of object and you pre-program how you pick different parts and how, where to, what kind of position to insert the part uh, so that it can work. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're really trying to achieve here is that we can build a system that's uh, able to generalize to different objects without some expert to program uh, where to pick, where to place, uh, what's the exact uh, like, 3D orientation of the objects that mm-hmm. the system needs to use. Yeah, I see. And I think the 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 what was it? The accuracy or the assembly character? Like how how well it was able to do was like um, how many kits it was able to assemble was like ninety something, right? Something very high. Yeah, uh, I actually wouldn't say it's really high. So for <laughs> <laughs> so if if we really want to apply this kind of system in a real assembly line, uh, it requires much much higher. Uh, accuracy. So imagine that if it's just um, 90 something percent success rate, it probably means that every 100 products, you will have a bad product, which is pretty bad. Um, (laughs) I see. So basically, like, um, this is more like projection wise, right? How long do you think it's going to take for, I guess, just in this assembly case, right, these Mm -hmm. kind of learning of robotics to actually like start being involved in the assembly line, right? Because like right now, I think the number I saw was like 94 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, 
how much uh what does the improvement gap need to be like five percent and then like how long do you think it's going to take to get there yeah i think that's that's a really good question i i don't think i have a good answer for it Mm -hmm. uh but so I, I know that we definitely need to get into like 99.99 something percent in right. order for it to be really usable, but uh, at least in assembly line. But maybe with a lower performance, it can still already be useful for some tasks that, that does not have such a high requirement mm-hmm. uh, like assembly line. So, mm, so examples like um, packing an Amazon box. So in those cases, uh, the requirements of like per, uh, the position is much lower because the box can be like bigger than the object. It's not like very tightly fit environment. Mm-hmm. So in those cases, maybe it's faster that we uh, probably will see like Amazon start to use uh, robot to do this package packing uh, mm-hmm. setup, maybe relatively soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think much, at least much sooner than uh, like real assembly. Um, tasks yeah and i guess here is it is it also a constraint in like uh like i mean a problem in obtaining like good experimental data i mean like good training data to work with i think for for basically the assembly right you use disassembly as a process to kind of obtain training data um do which is pretty pretty smart really really cool um i guess uh do you think there is is it again a problem here uh and do you think it's gonna like, are there better ways to approach this to gain more, I guess, training data? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I do agree that I feel the training data is a big challenge here. And uh, actually, for in order to get large-scale data, we really need to, like, it's a little bit hard for research lab to mm-hmm. really scale up this kind of data collection process. So it really kind of uh, up to those uh, industry, big companies, like, who actually has uh, uh, the the task, the resources to scale up this kind of process to make it really work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of like other questions that whether it is uh, cost effective for them to do learning based or they actually feel that hiring an expert to do this task is much easier. So mm-hmm. all those things is, I think, will influence how fast this kind of technology can be put into use. I see. And I think um, another thing about like learning based over like traditional like robotics uh, I think the learning based thing it has the advantage of being able to to again learn by watching things happen and uh, and then they're more generalizable in some aspects. Do you think that they're going to replace uh, humans at some point? Like when do you think they're going to replace humans? You know, oh, I, I don't think it's anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah, so you know, um, I think we we're definitely trying to make our robots uh, like as adaptable as possible, but. If you really work on the research problem, you'll find how hard it is, and mm-hmm. there's very, very far from there. And if you so uh, every day we are looking at this manipulation problem, and small things that we do every day with our hands, uh, we feel it's trivial. It's like putting objects into their box. It's like grasping any random object. I think a five years old is able to do it really robustly, right. but uh, for robots, we are still kind of um, far from that. Uh, just like reaching five-year-old um, capability, so I think it's still a long way to go. I see, and I guess for I guess future kind of things, what do you think are the more uh, more exciting things that you're, uh, you're you think are going to happen in uh, in in like uh, machine uh, with like learning-based robotics, or like uh, and, and like what do you think is going to happen in let's say like five years? Like like do you see any rising stars or cool things happening? 
Yeah, I think I think uh, what we just described, like uh, having a system that is more generalizable, that's able to acquire new skills, is definitely like the North Star goal that almost all the uh, uh, roboticists or like people in the field is trying to go in for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think for me uh, personally, I think I, I'm very excited about this direction of, um, as I said, use leverage the ability that the robot is able to kind of actively interact with the environment to mm-hmm. acquire this type of sensory input and then as a result to better understand the environment. So I think um, we have seen a lot of progress in computer vision, which mm-hmm. is just like processing a static image or video that trying to understand this world. But I think this world is, has so much more. Uh, the object has different physical properties. And if you interact with them, some objects deform, some objects articulated, mm-hmm. and um, some, uh, and there are also like a lot of different sensory modalities like sound, like temperature, uh, like tactile. Mm-hmm. All those information is hard to op- obtain if the robot is not actually interact with the object or the environment. Um, and I think this direction of using robots' active interaction to get more information to help perception, I think for me, that's a very exciting direction. Um, but that's probably like a relatively small direction compared to this North Star goal that we want to build generalizable robots that's able to have more skills, yeah. I see. Oh, that's, that sounds like a really cool goal. And I'm glad that no one's going to be, uh, assembly line workers aren't going to be replaced anytime soon. That that would be crazy. I mean, when I was reading your papers, I was like, it's over. Uh, I think for a lot of assembly tasks, uh, it's already kind of highly automated. Mm. But uh, again, it's only in factories that are in a very highly constrained environment. And mm. I think for a lot of actually everyday jobs, like cleaning my home apartment, I think the robot is far from there. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, I think that's all the questions I have for you. <laughs> uh, I found the... Uh, the data collection thing is really cool. Like how you, they're really ingenious, ingenious basically. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thanks, thanks for being a part of this interview. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.